name. Amen and amen. Thank you.
praise his name. Praise the name of the Lord. Aren't you glad that you can call on his name this morning? Amen. Doesn't this choir look good today? Amen. 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 We appreciate all that they do to lead us into the presence of God every single week. Amen. I want you to take your Bibles and go with me over to Nehemiah chapter 4 this morning as we look at a subject text of facing your giants. And I want to deal specifically this morning with how to deal with a giant of discouragement. How to deal with the giant of discouragement. A man joined a monastery, and to join the monastery, he could only say two words every 10 years. Wow. <laughs> After 10 years was up, he came into the Monsignor's office and said, Bed hard. He went back, served another 10 years of silence. He came back to the Monsignor's office and said, food cold. Went back to the Monsignor's office after 30 years and looked at him and said, I quit. The Monsignor said, good, you've done nothing but complain ever since you got here. <laughs> How to deal with a giant of discouragement. The definition of doing such a thing is to deprive of courage or of confidence. That's what discouragement is, to deprive you of courage and confidence. Anybody ever feel like this? It's kind of a universal kind of disease that we deal with when we start talking about discouragement. The definition is that depriving of the courage and the confidence with which you have to understand the, the how of the way that God created you to be in his image and what God created you to be and how God created you to be. I want us to look at this text together this morning in Nehemiah chapter 10. It said, meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is given out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we'll be right there among them and we'll kill them and put an end to their work. And then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Now you've got to look at the background of Israel and kind of understand where they were in this setting. The nation of Israel had fallen from its glory days under the rule of Solomon. The kingdom was divided after Solomon's death, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Now, the northern kingdom became destroyed by the Assyrians and the ten tribes of Israel, we know from the history, was taken away captive, never to be seen again. In the southern kingdom, the last two remaining tribes were taken over around 130 years later by Babylonian, by the Babylonian Empire. We know what happened in the history of what Babylon, what Babylon did to the people of God. And the great temple that was erected was destroyed. Everything was laid waste and people were taken captive. And while in captivity, God begins to stir. You see, that's the thing about God. God doesn't just let us sit and stew about stuff. 
God doesn't just let when things happen. And there again, I, I, you know, to, to understand and be able to explain to you why things happen the way that they happen, to try to explain, you know, if, if God is who he says he is, then, then, then why is there so much trouble in the world today? And if God is who he says he is, uh, why, why, why is Texas underwater? And why is Florida, parts of Florida underwater? And if God is who he says he is, and if, if he's this and if he's that, then then why in the world are people, why are good people suffering? And the questions go on and on and on. And before you know it, discouragement tries to begin to take hold. And why in captivity God began to stir the hearts of his people to desire their homeland again. They had forgotten who they were. They had hung their harps in the willows. And the only song that was being played was when the wind would blow into the willow trees and the willow trees would begin to stream or, or to begin to hit the string instruments of the harp. There was no real worship coming from the people of God any longer. You cannot survive in this day without worship. And if you wait till Sunday to put your worship on, then you need to come up here and get this rock. Because if you're not worshiping God, matter of fact, bless God, right there it is. If you're not worshiping God during the week, then you can't really worship him when you walk up in here on Sunday. They forgot and God began to tell them, put a desire back into their heart for their homeland. He called the, it's called the second exodus. The Jews went back to Jerusalem under the leadership of three different men. The company A, company A left first with their commanding officer Zerubbabel. And about eight years after Zerubbabel and that first company leave, company B, they leave Babylon with Ezra as commander. And then company A and company B, they, they go and they rebuild the temple of God. Now, company C is led by Nehemiah 90 years later. Get this, 90 years later, meaning that the temple of God is without protection for the next night, for those 90 years while they're waiting for company C to follow after company A and B, 90 years transpire and 90 years is left there with the temple without protection until God speaks to Nehemiah to undertake the task of rebuilding the walls. And so Nehemiah leads the people into the rebuilding of the walls because, and you need to hear this, because without walls around the city and the temple, they were open to any kind of an attack. And this is not really in my notes this morning, but I just feel like telling somebody, if you haven't built some kind of a spiritual fortification around your life, or if you're not allowing Jesus to be a, a shield around about you to cover you and build a wall of his spirit around about you friend you are missing the opportunity to live under the covenant and safety of the Lord Jesus Christ amen so there's a great enthusiasm at the beginning but as they reach the halfway point <laughs> they get halfway through the project of building this thing and they become discouraged. Discouragement begins to set in. And I want to, I want to look at some reasons this morning for discouragement. As a matter of fact, I'm calling them, if I can get it to come up, I'm calling them the four F's of discouragement that we're going to talk about here. Four things begin to set in that brings discouragement. The first one is called fatigue. Fatigue. Verse 10, he said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. They were feeling something called fatigue halfway through the project of rebuilding the wall. You ever been there where you felt like, I mean, you, were, you, you, you felt the challenge, you knew you had to do it? You knew that God was calling you to, to a specific thing? 
And you had all the strength in the world. You had all of the action. As a matter of fact, this, this past week, I had to take an assessments test. And they would point out the five major qualities in my life. One of, one of the five, believe it or not, was called activator. And the word, the way that he described this, the, the, the testing, the, 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 the instructor described, he gave me back a, a definition <laughs> He said, as an activator, and this is for me answering about 190 questions. This is their assessment of me being an activator. Once you realize something needs to be done, you're ready to do it then. You're ready. You're so ready to do it then that you would almost jump into it by yourself to get it going. There's almost, and, and, and it said this, an impatience. I thought, they don't know me. An impatience to see it get done. That, that action. Well, you get into the middle of a project, you're extremely excited because things are beginning to happen. And about halfway through, you feel like throwing your hands up in the air because you have nothing left. I've talked to people this week who've said to me, I mean, they're, they're going through it. I mean, going through such a, the last few months has been, it's just been one thing after the other. One family member's sickness, a loss of a job, a, a death of a family member, another sickness of a, of a family member, and it goes on. And that's not just one family, that is multiple families in our church. Somebody, somebody goes to the doctor and, and, and they see something that they didn't see the last time they were at the doctor. And so the doctor says, more testing. It's like one thing after the other. And fatigue sometimes will begin to take a hold in an individual's life. Now, understand, all of these things are real. Those things, those crises are real. But society has come up with a term to deal sometimes with what we deem as fatigue. They call it a midlife crisis. And professionals tell us that most everybody goes through a midlife crisis. My wife told me I better never go through a midlife crisis. But when you're in a midlife crisis, you start to believe all the statistical evidence... And it kind of goes something like this. Just follow on the screen. 75 million are under 20 years old. So that leaves 41 million to do the work. 200 million people in America. 84 million are over 60 years old. So that leaves 116 million to do the work. 22 million are employed by the federal government. That leaves 19 million to do the work. <laughs> 4 million are in the armed forces. That leaves 15 million to do the work. 14.8 million are state and city employees. That leaves 200,000 people to do the work. And you're not pulling your weight. So that leaves me to do all the work. <laughs> now, the, the numbers are real, okay? All of those numbers are real. But the bottom line is this. Here's the bottom line, okay? When you fall into the fatigue, the discouragement of fatigue, you think that you're the only person that's pulling the cart up the hill. And nobody else knows the weight that you're under. And nobody else knows what you're facing. And nobody else cares about where you are. And all of the above is nothing more than a lie of the devil. It doesn't mean, listen, I'm not saying that your problems aren't real. I'm not saying that the stress in your life doesn't exist. I'm just simply saying there is a higher power than all of this. My God. Oh, help me, Jesus. I knew y'all wouldn't be jumping up and down on this one this morning, but that's okay. I know I'm in the will of God here. Fatigue. Second one leads to something called frustration. All they could see 
was the rubble. Now, they, they, they got into the middle of the project. They began to look at the project. They began to see the project is it, it's starting to become overwhelming to them. They fall into fatigue, and, 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 and they're, they're looking at each other, and they're, and they're exclaiming to each other, you're not pulling your weight, and now it falls into something called frustration. And in spite of all of the hard work that they were doing on this temple, all and, and the wall around about it, all they could see was, we've just got this puny wall that's standing here and look at all this rubble around about us. That's all they could see was the rubble and it was all of those insignificant things that we focus on so many times that cause us to go into frustration. Vicki will tell me from time to time, I don't like frustrated Chris. Frustrated Chris is not happy. I like bubbly. See, y'all don't, y'all don't really know me, you see. I, I have made it my goal in life to make her laugh. That is my job. That is, that is one of my main priorities as a husband is to make Vicky laugh. And we laugh all the time. Now, she told me when, when, we, when we first met, she was 16, I was 18. She said, you got two things going for you. One is I really like the way you look. And the other thing is you make me laugh. Well, I've kind of doubled in size since the way I used to look. So now I just, it's my goal to make her laugh. It's all I got going for me, okay? So I try to make her laugh. But every so often, every so often, you feel that pebble in your shoe. It's just a pebble. It's there to irritate you. You know what I mean? And you take your shoe off and you, you hit it on the ground and you dump, try to dump it out and you put your shoe back on and all you feel is that blessed pebble and you're like, my God, I just took it off. I shook it out. I mean, why am I still dealing with this? It's a pebble. It's a distraction. It's meant to bring frustration into your life. It was the insignificant things that they were focusing on. It's not the height of the mountain that stopped the climber. It was the pebble in its shoe. It's amazing how that those little stones can cause so many problems when we allow them to be a problem. That, that, that begs me to ask the question this morning, what is the pebble in your shoe today? What is it that's keeping you from doing everything that you need to do for the kingdom of God? What's stopping you? You've got gifts. You've got talents. You've got a calling from God. Now, listen, do you understand that you're anointed by God to do what he's called you to do? What's the pebble? What is it? Frustration set in on the people of God. They're dealing with fatigue and now they're frustrated and they can't see what God's doing. Isn't that amazing? That when fatigue and when frustration gets into the people of God, how that they just don't see it. They don't see, they don't see what, Pastor? They don't see the good stuff God's doing. They don't see the people that God is redeeming. They, they forgot about the people that came to the altar last week and was touched by the hand of God because God, for some reason, didn't come by them and give them a personal word. Or maybe he did, and maybe we forgot the word that God spoke into our life between services. But I'm here to tell you this, that when fatigue and frustration, and, and, and it's a real thing. I'm not saying it's not a real thing. I'm thinking, if I'm honest... Some of you have been working in fatigue and frustration for some time. You have felt the weight of this thing. But there again, you got to understand, God has called us to a higher purpose than frustration and fatigue. And he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Take my strength upon you. Take my spirit upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart and I will find you can find the rest for your soul. He says that his strength strength will come in abundance if we'll trust him if we'll trust him brings me to what comes out of fatigue and frustration failure are you kidding me we can't rebuild the wall we can't do it 
I mean, they're talking like generations before them. We were grasshoppers in our own sight and in theirs. How in the world did they know what they saw them as because they didn't stick around long enough to have a conversation with them? They didn't ask the giants in the land, excuse me, how do you see us? How could they even come up with the, 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 the mind? How could they even come up with that thought in their mind that, that the, the, the giants in the land saw them as grasshoppers? Because once you plant a thought, you let a thought get into your mind that you don't cast down. Under the control of the Holy Spirit. He'll, listen, that, that mindset will begin to grow. And before you know it, you're ready to quit. You're ready to walk out on your marriage. You're ready to stop being a parent. You're ready to stop being a churchgoer. You're ready to stop paying your tithe. You're ready to quit ministry. Let me tell you something. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. And you have been called by God. You've been called. You've been called by the master. We can't build the wall. Let me tell you something. Can y'all hear me? Raise your hand if you can hear me right now. Because I want you to hear this. Honey, we are rebuilding the wall. Well, that's about a third of you. I don't know. Well, it sounds good, preacher. I wish you'd hurry up. That buffet line's sounding awful good to me right now. That's the problem right there. The, oh, Lord Jesus, help me. Okay, I'm not going there. I, I feel mean, Chris, coming out now, as Vicky would say. I feel mean, and I don't know that it's anointing, but it, it feels pretty good, but I'm not so sure it's the anointing, so I'm not going to go with it, okay? We can't rebuild the wall. Oh, yes, we can, and we are. Oh, yes, we are. Look around you. Oh, yes, we are. <laughs> oh, yes, oh, yes, oh, yes, oh, yes. We are because I'm telling you that the Holy Spirit of God, temporary failures are not defeats. They're mere delays. Understand that. A temporary failure is not a defeat. It's only a mere delay. Thomas Edison, in trying to invent the light bulb, had several thousand attempts and all of his colleagues was urging him to, to quit and walk away from it and stop. Why don't you just quit? Well, I'm glad he didn't quit. We'd be in the dark this morning. Thousands, thousands of attempts. And Thomas Edison said, failure, not at all. We've just discovered several thousand things that won't work. <laughs> it's a mere setback. It's just something that's there for a moment. It's a, it's a mere setback. And it's not. It's not considered a failure. It's, it's one of those things, it's a stepping stone, a stepping stone. A, a young man came home from school one day and his mama knew that it was the time, you know, it was that time. And uh, give, give the report card and he pulls out the report card and he hands it to her and she looks at it and he's, you know, his marks on his card are not that great, you know. He's got some, some not completely failing grades, but his grades are not that great. She looked at him and she said, well, what do you have to say for yourself? He said, well, at least you know I'm not cheating. <laughs> it's all in how you look at it. I told you last week that there are folks who think we're on life support and they would be so, so wrong. I don't know about you, I went home and took the magnet off my car and just, I said, you know, I don't think I need this anymore. God's greatness resides within the people of God that are in this house today. And God's power and his strength and his anointing. You see, these, these men and women, they're looking they're looking at the fatigue. They're looking at the frustration. 
They're saying, you know what? There's just a handful of us. It's just a handful. We're, we're, the, we're the ones, we're, we're holding this thing together and there's just, a, there's just a, a handful of us. I remember a story about a prophet who, who God spoke to and said, here's what, I, I want you to go to Ahab and I want you to declare to him that there is a famine that is going to come into the land. And, and, and Elijah finds himself standing in front of, of this king, this wicked king and his wife. And and Elijah looks at them and, and he begins to tell them what thus says the Spirit of the Lord concerning Israel. And, and when he declared the famine, there was a famine that took place within the land. And we know the story how that God took care of his servant. Even in the midst of that trial, ravens would come and drop food into his lap while everybody else was starving to death. While everybody else was looking for water, God caused a, a brook to come right there where Elijah was and Elijah had water to drink and he had food to take care of him and God showed him all the provision. Later he would go and stand before, and I'm giving the, the, the short version, he would go stand before this king and he would declare God that God is who he says he is and God is going to do what he says he would do and, and he builds an altar and he says the God that answers with fire let him be God and God does all that. God comes down and he answers with fire and he licks the water that was in the trench and he takes all of the stones that were assembled as an altar and he consumes them and he shows Israel who he is. And one woman sends word to the prophet and said, by this time tomorrow, that's another message for another time, you'll be a dead man. And all that stuff that God did, anointing Elijah, feeding him with ravens, making sure he had water to drink, uh, uh, give him authority to stand in front of a king and declare that God's going to answer with fire out of heaven. And God did exactly what he said he was going to do. And it wasn't even but just a few mere hours later. And, and, and the, the wicked queen says to him, you know what? You're going to die. You killed my prophets by the sword. So by this time tomorrow... And so what does he do? He runs and he finds himself in a cave somewhere and it took God speaking to him over there in the cave. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that frustration and fatigue sometimes can get in your head in such a way you feel like throwing your hands square up in the air and saying, you know what? I, 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 I'm tired. Of, you know what? I watch my neighbors live like the devil and it seems like they got everything at their disposal and I'm trying to live for God and everything's going wrong. Let me tell you something. It's just what you see on the surface. It's just what you see with your natural eye. But if you look in the Spirit, you'll see something in the Spirit that it's not just something that is there in the natural that you can behold with your eye. The Spirit man will begin to understand something that you're not a failure. That fatigue may have come and frustration may have set in. But I am a child of the Most High God and He's got His hand on me. Hallelujah. And He's got His hand on my church and He's got His hand on my family and my children are going to be saved and the drug addicts are going to be delivered and the alcoholics are going to get saved and delivered by the name of Jesus Christ and God's people are going to see the splendor of God. Well, I guess you just had to be in his presence this week to get it like I did. I'm telling you, I feel like that we are on the, the cusp of greatness. The last thing, fear. Fear. I kind of covered it already. Let's be honest, I, moved, I really kind of moved ahead here. Fear sets in. Fatigue, frustration, failure, fear. Fear comes and says, well... I don't know. Wow, he sure looks, that looks awful big to me. Look how small I am. Look how big they are. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that's nothing to God right there. 
that's nothing to God. Absolutely nothing. Go sit in a go sit in a nursing facility with somebody that can't move their legs and can't move out of bed and can't really tell you what they really want to tell you, what they want to express to you from their heart because cancer has done a work unless God does a miracle. It's not going to change. And then walk out to your car and sit in your car for about 10 minutes and reflect. And then you start thinking, you know what? My life ain't so bad. Things aren't so bad. You know what? I, 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 think, I, can, I think I can rise above fatigue and frustration, fear. Fear of the unknown. What's coming next? What's the next thing? God and we're going to face. You know, sometimes I'm glad he don't tell me before it happens. I'm just being honest. Well, if he told you what, I mean, come on, pastor. If he told you, then you'd be prepared for it. Yeah, and more than likely, you'd go somewhere and hide, and you'd say, let somebody else do it, God. When God, I feel the Holy Ghost. When God said, I anointed you to do it. I called you to do it. I called you to stand up. I called you to get a standard. I told you, and I called you and said, make up. Just stand up and be that person. Be that child of God that says, I'm going to take a stand if nobody else does. Fear of the unknown. Fear of what's coming next. Nehemiah's people were doing themselves in. They were, they were stoking the fires of fear. Now, we've looked at four things. We looked at fatigue. We looked at frustration. We looked at failure. We've looked at fear. We kind of talked a little bit too much about what they did. Let, let's, let's talk about something here of, 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 of what, what they did to bring them out of that discouragement. I got a couple of minutes to kind of finish this up. Defeating discouragement. Here's how you deal. Here's how you deal with the giant of discouragement. You've got to remember who the Lord is. Look at what they said in verse 11. Also our enemy said before, before they knew it or, or know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to the work. That's what the enemy said. But in verse 14, something begins to transpire. Look, look at verse 14. He said, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters and your wives. I've come to tell somebody this morning, it ain't over till God says it's over. I don't care. I don't care what the doctor said. I don't care what your neighbor said. I don't care what your family said. I, I don't care what your counselor said. It ain't over until God says that it's over. You need to fight. You need to get some fight in you. And fight your way through this thing. Remember the Lord <laughs> who is great and awesome and will fight for your families. Whew. Some of you need to fight. Get up and fight. Quit rolling around. My God, the easiest thing in the world for you to do is just to roll back over and pull the sheet up over your head and say, not today. They're going to have to do it without me today. Guess what? They will. And the devil will have one more up on you. But if you'll pull the covers off and get out of the bed and say, guess what? I'm getting up today. I may not feel that I've got the strength to do it, but I'm going to do it. <laughs> Steve come in my office this morning, handed me my keys. He started laughing. I knew he had something to tell me. I said, what is it? He said, you know, we went out of town. I said, yeah. How was it? Oh, it was great. It was fun. You know, had a good time. He said, while we were gone, you're not going to believe what Bill did. 
I said, what did he do? Well, you have to understand, two years ago, they, they pretty much wrote him off. I mean, told him, you know, you got about two weeks to live two years ago. I'm not saying that if the struggle hadn't been real, I'm not telling you that they've not had to adjust life and schedule and everything else. And, and Bill, Bill's had, he's had good days and bad days and middle days, you understand? But mama and daddy were gone. <laughs> and while they were gone, Bill decides with his walker, he wants to ride his truck. And they had his keys. <laughs> he said, ain't no problem. He had a bigger problem than that. The battery was dead. So he gets his walker and he walks several hundred feet outside on that walker, opens up the lid of that truck, <laughs> pulls the battery out, <laughs> puts it on his walker, walks several hundred feet to the garage, hooks it up, to a charger, went back in the house to rest because he's wore out now. <laughs> Came back out when it was all charged up. They didn't have his key or they had his keys. No problem. He hired, he, he hotwired the sucker. <laughs> ah! I'm telling you what, when they told me, I said, I got to tell that. That goes right with the message. Heart, he he, he, he hotwired it. Just so he could drive across the street <laughs> to the farmhouse. I said, how was Angela? I said, did she fuss? <laughs> I'm sure he got a tongue lashing, okay? I'm sure of it, okay? Well, the hundred reasons why, Dad, you shouldn't do this. Why I'm not home, okay? I get that. But what determination. <laughs> The truck where he's left the windows up and down on this thing and the rain had mold in it. The doctor had even looked in the truck some time ago because he kept wanting to go get in the truck and they'd say, Dad, you can't get in the truck. It's got mold in it. He didn't care. He said, that ain't mold. That's just dirt. <laughs> That's a man's man right there. Bless God, it ain't nothing but dirt. You know? So he goes out and he gets in that truck. Well, he's, he's having a hard time breathing today because there is mold in the truck. But the doctor, she told the doctor some time ago, said, would you please tell my daddy there's mold in his truck? He said, he told me I was going to die two years ago. He don't know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! I'm going to tell you what, if I don't mess you up, I don't know what will determination. My God, I'm not giving up. I'm not quitting. I'm remembering the Lord. I remember how great he is, how awesome he is, and that he's fighting for me, and he's fighting for the church. <laughs> and the gates of hell shall not prevail. <laughs> oh God, I feel old school Holy Ghost. Come on, man. I'm about to cut a shine. I'm going to tell you, if God be for us, who can be against us? <laughs> God's setting us up for the greatest. I mean, listen to me. For you and your family, it's almost like turmoil has been there. But God wants me to tell somebody in this room, he is setting you up for the greatest comeback yet. Don't, listen, you might be down and the count's at two and it's about to be three, but my God, don't just stay on the ground. Get up, somebody. Get up. Get up and know God has got this. God is fighting for you. That's how you defeat discouragement. That's how you deal with it. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord your God. Corey Tim Boone said, if you look at the world, you get distressed. If you look at within, you get depressed. But look at Christ and you will be at rest. You got to remember that Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If God be for us, who can be against us? And in Ephesians 6, he said, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You are the righteous seed of God. 
You've got to remember that. You've got to remember that. I am the righteous seed of God. I like something that Deborah put on Facebook yesterday. Everything that works in my life, and I'm paraphrasing, is because of the completed work of Christ on the cross. Let me tell you something. What he did one time, he ain't never going to have to go back and do again. Amen. He did it once and for all. Hallelujah. Now, let me tell you this. In that completed work and what he's done in you, and he's raised you from the dead spiritually and called you to life and put an anointing on your life, and you might, you might be in that place right now where you just feel like, my God, there ain't nothing. I mean, there is nothing going right. You say, Pastor, you act like you don't ever have a problem. Let me tell you, it ain't always sunshine and roses at the preacher's house. And I don't mean because we, we don't get along. We, we, I tell you what, we're still on the honeymoon, ain't we, baby? This week will be 33 years. Hallelujah. We're still on the honeymoon. The best thing in the world right now. Every one of my kids are out of the house. And we are on a perpetual vacation. And when the grandbabies come, I can fill them up with sugar and send them home. (laughs) Greatest sight in the world is headlights coming in and taillights leaving out. Amen. I'm telling you, it's a good life. God is good. He's good. No, it ain't always sunshine. Some days I have to get up and remind myself, you are a preacher. (laughs) You are a pastor. You do have to go to church today. Why? Because if you don't, who's going to preach? You say, you really have days like that? Do I ever have days where I don't feel anointed? Oh, my gosh. Yes. You have days where you don't feel like that. You've had those doubts where the, 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 the Lord didn't really love you. Yeah, the enemy comes and tries to put that stuff in your head, but you know it ain't real. You know it's not right. You know that God loves you with an everlasting love. You just get up. And you put one foot in front of the other and you say, I can do all things through Christ. It's another day. It's another day. I, I mean, I would, I would love to tell you that I, that I have faith like some of these I see on television. I, I, and, and, and I'm not saying they don't. I'm not saying they don't, okay? And I, I, I'm not throwing any rocks this morning to anybody. I, I'm just telling you that sometimes it almost, it almost makes it almost unrealistic for people to, uh, believers in Christ, to think that, that there's, there's, there must be something wrong with me because I know I love God, but I'm having trouble in my life. Listen, he never said you wouldn't have any trouble. He said, but with every temptation that comes, he makes a way of escape. I love the Lord. (laughs) And I love life church. And I love what God's called us to. That we are of church, of passion and compassion. We have a passion for God and we have a compassion for fellow man. Amen. And bless God, we ain't on life support. We are not. We are moving forward in the power and the strength of the almighty God. I want you to stand with me this morning. Father, into your hands... We commit this service and that of your people. I could go out through this congregation this morning and touch a few people on the shoulder and tell them, lift up your head. (laughs) Lift up your head. It's going to get better. It will get better. God is seeing you through. Not that he's going to see. Not that you're going to see. But that you are seeing us through. That tomorrow is a new day. That this week is a new week. It's not going to be like last week.
that you're going to minister to them in the struggle where they are right now. I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the very presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. You will cause my cup to run over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives. And we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In your presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore so I will not be discouraged and I will not quit in the middle (laughs) of what you have called us to rebuild let somebody this morning know the peace that surpasses all understanding today in the name of Jesus the Christ I ask these things today amen every head bowed every eye closed for just a moment Let's face it, the Holy Spirit's been talking to a lot of people in this room today. You're like, Pastor, it's almost been like you've been in my house. Well, the Holy Spirit's concerned about where you are right now. The Holy Spirit is concerned about what you and your family are facing right now. And He wants to minister that grace, that power, that love unto your life today. I want you to come right now in the name of Jesus.